Hi there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian, he's been living here in Japan for over two decades now, and for about half of that time he's been buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, Drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. Okay, so for today's episode, uh, this is a conversation with a new client residing in Singapore, although you should be able to pick up where he's originally from pretty quickly from his accent. We had a nice long conversation about all practical matters related to property investment here in Japan, but also investment in general. Um, both here in Japan and also from a more global perspective. So we explain how things work um, here in comparison with other countries, what is similar, what is unique to Japan. Um, we break down the popular investment asset classes of choice, what can be had for his budget, which is approximately 20 million Japanese yen or 200,000 euros, and how we can work with that budget to also achieve diversification if possible. So we cover attractive locations within Japan and we also break down the purchase process and explain where we fit into it. And then we talk some procedural, so how foreign exchange and money transfers work, how to establish and maintain relationships with realtors in Japan and why it is that we pursue potential properties one at a time. Uh, we do some due diligence, some deal analysis. We talk about tenancy laws, tenant profiles, the advantages of purchasing tenanted versus vacant, uh, renovations, repairs, both between tenants and otherwise, purchase management costs, taxes, insurance, uh, insurance coverage, insurance compensation, you name it. So a really good in-depth conversation about all things related to property investment in the land of the rising sun. Enjoy the episode and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay, so I've scrolled down through your email. You were talking about investment properties at a budget of approximately 20 million yen. Was that about right? Yeah, correct. I mean, basically, it's uh, yeah, it's it's the sum is a bit like you know we can discuss what makes sense and so on because it's the first investment in Japan for us, right? So. I mean, we have some property in Singapore. I have also something in Germany. And, um, you know, basically, especially Singapore is for investment, not really a good, at the moment at least, it's not really practical, right? Because yeah. we have uh, price hikes at the moment. And, I mean, 
renting our condo units at the moment the yield is okay but we know exactly what will happen if the if the market is cooling off a bit again because then the rents are going down and then also the yield is basically gone that's the and, first uh, time actually i've heard a singapore person say that the yields are okay i've never heard that before <laughs> at the moment i mean if you have an existing property that you bought let's say three four years ago and then with these price hikes that we see at the moment it's not too bad. I mean, like on the most of the condo units, you were able to increase rent by, you know, quite a bit. I would say like 20%. Okay. And this 20% price hike is giving you some, some good return in, in that period. But we all know what happens, right? I mean, it will not stay on that level for the whole time because the market is like Hong Kong. It's like coming yeah. waves. And when the wave is going down again, if you bought the property at the wrong time, it's uh, you know it's hurting you quite a bit on your on your investment. If you want to get cash out, right? If you're really speculating on appreciation, it's okay. I mean, you can do that, and you can hope, of course, that somebody's building a, an underground station near your house, and yeah. value by accident just drops up. But normally, our experience is like it's either you you buy it when it's really cheap. Uh, and you're lucky or I mean you or you're speculating by buying something somewhere which is a bit more like it's hard to say in Singapore outskirts it's like one city state right yeah. but if you buy it somewhere where you're not close to any station and then you know you just hope that okay in the development plan it looks like they will put a line there in the next 10 years okay you know in 10 years the property will definitely gain because you know people will look into this area because it's connected to a station but that's basically speculation basically the background. yeah yeah it's uh, no well i mean i guess we're probably the exact opposite here in the sense that japan is definitely a cash flow market and and not a speculative place um but the thing is if you're going to be buying a single asset for 20 million yen you're probably going to end up with an asset that's going to be very similar to what you used to from singapore cash flow wise so 20 million yen is not enough to buy a small building or at least not in any attractive city. Um, and houses are not really the best investment asset in Japan. They're not made of durable materials. And um, I mean, you get the entire structure maintenance on you as opposed to a condo unit without any of the benefits that you'd get with a, with a larger building. So you're probably looking at a single condo unit if you're going to buy a single asset. Mm. Which actually the idea is is a bit like you know i have two things in my head and maybe you can can give your comment on it because you have of course more experience on this than than i have but um looking into looking into the market and also i've been to japan many times for business so i am traveling there normally like four or five times a year i just came from japan actually i have been in japan a lot, two weeks ago for three weeks uh, in different cities and I mean, when looking at the people there, demographic-wise, and, and you know, when you talk to, to business partners we have, I mean, it, for me, the, what would make sense is, of course, to look for like smaller units, like a typical, I don't know, studio or how they call it, like one LDK, one yep. DK, one K, something small. And then, I mean, for me, it would be fine if we say, okay, if we find, let's say, two units that is, let's say, you know, in a certain value and where we see, okay, cash flow is good. I think that would be a good point maybe to kickstart something because my plan is to, to diversify more. And my, from, from my mindset, it's like we started in Singapore 
and we came to the point where it makes sense still, but then kicks in the stamp duty here because the stamp duty is, you know, it gets more, the more properties you own, the yeah. more stamp duty you have to pay. So it doesn't make more sense anymore to invest more in Singapore because we have something and, and you know, everything additionally I would buy now is, is killing me on the stamp duty. Yeah. Then Germany at the moment is not a good place to invest and, and you know, it's too expensive at the simply too expensive. Even uh, even up north, like I heard, Leipzig was was not a bad location. It, okay, I mean the the problem I would have is like I <laughs> my mindset is always like I'm from the north part, right? So you're thinking then automatically like okay, if I ever would go back, can I maybe utilize this property? Because in Germany you will not get anything cheap, right? I mean like if we're talking about two hundred thousand uh, euro, I mean at the moment what you're getting is. Uh, is what you could get is very limited yeah and you know it would not be in a nice neighborhood normally and you also would know that the, the clientele of people who would rent this is like you know let, let's say it, it's more difficult to maintain it as a passive investment if you're living there it's different because you could go there you you are in control of it you could check up once in a while and so on but living in singapore and not being in germany it's it's too troublesome yeah so in so, um in japan Again, if we're going for a single asset, it would be a super central location in any other city or a reasonable location in Tokyo or central Osaka, say. Um, but Tokyo and Osaka will probably, a single asset at this budget will probably get you 3%, maybe 4% before tax if you're lucky. Um, in other cities, maybe four and a half, five percent. But if we try to break that down into two assets, that will probably get us something a little bit older, a little bit smaller with higher yield. Um, without, without compromising too much on location. So still in a big city, uh, maybe not right smack in the middle of the city, but a good location. Um, then two assets of 10 million each probably would make more sense from a yield perspective, I would say. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking also, because I mean, from the, from, from what I hear, at least from my colleagues there, because, you know, I was talking with, with my colleagues, that's also why it was kickstarting. And then of course you're running into all of these problems, like, you know, as a foreigner, you're not able to make a bank account. As a foreigner, it will be very hard to find an agent dealing with you, um, you know, all these things. And then, of course, you know, this idea came up, I think, like two years back. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, when the market was actually quite good in Japan, as far as I heard from, from, from my colleagues. And um, basically, at that time, it was like it's nearly impossible without, you know, any services to do that. And, uh, you know, basically, that's why I was uh, you know, investigating over the last year, more or less, and then also end up finally on, on, on your web page, actually. And, uh, you yeah, know, you've just quoted, you just quoted 50% of the reasons for our existence is the fact that you can't open a bank account, you can't do anything in English, and nobody wants to work with you. And the other half is probably, um, I mean, Japan's an honest place, you're not going to get swindled here, but agents are still agents, they're transactional, they're not going to tell you what questions to ask, and not going to guide you through due diligence, they're just going to try to seal the deal. Um, so the other reason that we exist is that people would like to pay us for our expertise to be on their side and make sure that they're just getting the best. Again, you're not going to get swindled, but you want to make sure you're getting the best deal for your money. 
So yeah, you, you've read the explanation of services document. You understand roughly how we work, right? Did you have any questions about that? Mm, actually, from the from the point, I mean, like what I understand, you can maybe correct me on this one. It's basically that we will, for the start, that we would work like you know. I mean, of course, first of all, having this talk and also you know looking into what option maybe also for our side to maybe look a bit at what is the budget that we really want to spend, and then. From the other point is that we would start engaging you, right? I mean, that would be the starting point if we if we really go further that road, and uh, also making some upfront payments, correct? Yes. Yeah, so we can put in a few to hours of yeah. So we can put in a few hours of complementary research, and we're always happy to exchange emails and have a chat. But once you want us to actually dig deeper into specific properties, start contacting listing agents and sellers, and maybe conduct a few more hours of research to look at other cities. From that point, we do need to be engaged. So we need our fee estimate paid in advance. That's going to be based on what you think the budget is. And then post settlement will debit or credit, depending on whatever the uh, end purchase price is. And sometime before we actually can sign the contract on your behalf, you'll also need to have two documents signed and witnessed to enable us to represent you here. Okay. These uh, witnesses of these documents, does it have to be the Japanese embassy or... Is no, no, notary public. Any notary public. Okay. Well, any notary public who can understand a document in English. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we are in Singapore. Singapore. Yeah, Singapore. Germany, maybe not that easy, but Singapore, okay. <laughs> yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah, okay, that's good to know because, I mean... For us, I mean, luckily, we have a good Japanese embassy here because, you know, during the pandemic time for the visa and so on, they were actually quite, you know, responsive and they are quite good. So if there's anything needed from the embassy, it would have not been a big issue, I think. But um, No, if you're not Japanese residents, there's no, we don't need to involve Japanese uh, consulates or other republics or anything. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. So basically, that's a notary public is totally fine. Yeah. Okay. And then that's it. So naturally, throughout the research process, we're going to be looking at a bunch of properties. Don't expect the first one that you look at to be the one you're going to end up purchasing. But the purchase fee that you pay us represents you. It's a fixed price that represents you until you end up settling on a property. Okay. And then from the the procedure, otherwise, it's like, I mean... When we work together, I guess that you will look into the market. I mean, you will look what is what is coming there with your uh, agents that you are normally working with, what is free on the market, what you can find over other portals, let's say like that. And um, if we're coming really, let's say now, I mean, from the first point, let's say we find a property where you say, okay, this makes sense. It's a location-wise, it's okay. It's within a station. It is somewhere at a, at a larger city. Um, and let's say it has a certain amount of value that it's it's written off for or it's 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 published for let's let's say just an example now six let's say sixty million uh, or six million yen as an example now. Yeah. Um, and let's say we, we say okay we want to we want to uh, you know make an official offer for this one because my understanding uh, in in Japan normally is like from my business background right it's like if you start approaching somebody seriously about something like asking for inquiry or so. I mean, normally at that point it gets quite serious. I mean, like it's it's differently than in Europe, right? Where you can just say, yeah. oh, please give me a, uh, yeah. I want to offer this or make a letter of." Yeah, I'm glad for- I'm glad that you recognize that because that's one of the main points we have to educate new customers about. Um, in the West, we're very used to, you know, shooting in all directions, submitting offers on five six properties, and then just going ahead with the one we like the most. 
But if we do that in Japan, that agent is not going to work with us again. It's just not done here. So what we would need to do is get our research results, prioritize them to see which one, on paper at least, which one looks the most attractive and start tackling them one by one. So we go with the first one, we make inquiries. Once we submit an offer, it's expected, it's not legally binding, but it's expected that if nothing turns up during due diligence, we're going to move forward with the deal. We're not going to just pull back because we changed our mind. Um, but the due diligence information is only going to usually is only going to be available post offer the agents it's a very fast market here so the agents and the sellers don't go out of the way to start collecting documents for tire kickers and once they have an offer they'll start providing um, if the unit is tenanted they'll provide tenant information the building renovation history the total reserve funds and then we look at all of that information and we decide if we're moving forward or pulling back or maybe amending the offer price for example if there's a higher risk factor Right, so we can pull the offer back because of that due diligence info, but not because just we had a change of heart. And then once we sign the contract, pay the 10% deposit, that's when it becomes legally binding. Okay, okay, so from that point onwards, it's basically like a legal binding contract, and then it will run down the road of course, of course getting all the legal things in place and then to doing the transfer. Whatever right. you used to from any other country, yeah. Yeah, okay. Definitely so Singapore and Germany, it's very similar. Sorry? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but that means also basically for the due diligence, we don't have any documents up to the point when we make an offer. That means that we have to do a bit of the, let's say, research. Uh, or, I mean, basically, it's like the agent is, is recommending, of course, but let's say they will, of course, look into and, and sort out already from the feeling, gut feeling also, okay, this one might not be anything because, you know, it's maybe too old or, you know, we're usually not we're usually not going to get to the offer stage if something is too old so the properties that we'll research for you will be you know we like to look at properties up to 30 years of age not beyond that because that's the age when building fees tend to rise up more sharply because the building requires more maintenance and that's also when developers start sniffing around to see if they can convince everyone to sell cheaply so yeah. we'd like to give you at least five, six years of, of buy and hold before that happens. So we'll normally aim for properties 30 years or younger, unless it's a phenomenal location and we're sure that we're going to get a good offer when it's time to sell, right? Otherwise, yeah, 30 years and younger, we'll want to see it within 10 minutes, uh, walking distance to a train or subway station, whatever that city has for transport. Um, the only exception would be maybe if it's a major station like Tokyo Station or Hakata Station, Nagoya Station, then maybe 15 minutes is also okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and then... I think even, even at that stations, I mean, if you're 15 minutes away from Hakata, you're being at, at one subway station anyway. Right? Yeah, because exactly. Hakata, <laughs> There's like probably going to be an... No, I mean, sometimes you get this one little spot in the other suburb that's actually no <laughs> other station, but still, 15 minutes walk to Hakata Station is good for any tenant. And then um, the other things that we can see on paper, I mean, aside from just having a look at the building, generally we can see if, you know, it looks like at least the exterior is reasonably well maintained. If the property is tenanted, we're not going to have any interior photos. So Japanese tenancy laws uh, prohibit anyone from entering a tenanted unit. There's no periodical inspections or you don't enter unless the tenant asks for maintenance or something. Okay. So we can go for vacant units uh, if you prefer. If the location is very attractive, it should be easy to find a tenant for them. The advantage there is that you're getting a property that was just recently renovated, the interior. Uh -huh. 
Um, but the downside is, of course, you're buying into expenses as opposed to buying straight into income because you still have to pay your building fees for a few months until you find a tenant, right? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I also prefer something tenanted, to be honest, because like you said, I mean, it's like for us, we don't, I mean, I don't have any Japanese yen, right? So for me, it would be like, of course, if it draws directly some some income to pay the expenses. It's reserves that otherwise it's expenses. reserves that you have to transfer. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. Because at the moment, the yen rate is really good to Singapore dollar. But, uh, you know, you never know what happens in the next half a year, right? So yeah. I think at the moment, the yen is at, I think, 104 yen per Singapore dollar, which is like more than 20% in favor to the Sing dollar. Yeah, so, that's been, it's the highest it's been for about 10 or 15 years, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. It have never been, I think it never have been so high because, I mean, I, I'm traveling to Japan since like, I think like nine years now or so. And... I remember there was a time where it was in the 90s, in the higher 90s, but uh, normally it was like around 80. So that's why I said it's actually like 20, 20% at the moment, which yeah. is on the, on the gain side. And uh, in Singapore, it's actually quite quite easy to get yen. I mean, most of the banks, when you have a multi-currency account, actually they also cater yen. Yep. So for me, it's easy actually to, you know, I could even get yen funds from Japan back to Singapore, just keep them here on my bank account and transfer them into a Singapore dollar when needed. Okay. Well, you might want to, I'm not sure what your yen, what your bank offers you on exchange rates, but maybe don't let them convert your Singapore dollar into yen and vice versa. Use a foreign exchange provider for that. Yeah, I, I will check that when it comes to that point. Yeah. But uh, at the moment, I think it's because there is a, you know, there is a need for the banks to get uh, <laughs> to to buy yen. Let's say it like that. At the moment, because good deals to be had, right? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 actually like it's really it's really the other way around now than it was the years before. You know, otherwise it was always like it was very easy to get Japanese yen in cash when you travel over to Japan. Yeah. And uh, this time it was actually like on the on the airport if you wanted to change or also here with the big lenders here in Singapore if you wanted to get yen. It's nearly impossible because everybody's traveling now to Japan since it's open again yeah. and because of the low and the good rate. So it was nearly impossible this time to get cash. I mean, it's very hard to get Japanese yen cash in Singapore at the moment. Yeah. So, so yeah, and I think you had some other questions about management. So management is pretty much what you're used to elsewhere. Uh, property managers here normally charge 5% of the gross rental income uh, plus tax, so 5.5 total. Um, some particular cities where there are a lot of property managers, we can get deals for 3 or 4%. Some cities where there are less, they can go as high as 10%. But the average, the industry standard okay. is usually 5% plus tax. They don't charge you when the property is vacant, but they oh. do charge you when they place a new tenant. So when they place a new tenant, okay. they'll charge you, um, the default is to charge you one month of rent. If the property for some reason is a bit more challenging to populate, if it's a bad time of the year or there's a lot of uh, supply in the area, then they'll share the listing with other property managers, in which case you'll pay two months of rent. Okay. Beyond that, if it's a really, really difficult for some reason, like you're asking for the rent, which is a lot higher than the average or... It's um, just, you know, new developers built five new buildings and there's huge supply in the area. In that case, we'll suggest some other incentives. So offering the tenant uh, first month of free rent, for example, or offering an extra commission to a, a, like a, another property manager, which will introduce potential tenants and so forth. So 
We'll let you know, of course, but the, the, the average that you need to expect is one or two months when you're placing a new tenant. And then we charge um, similarly 2% of the gross rental income and half a month when we help you place a new tenant. Okay, so for me, the cost would be like one and a half to two and a half months uh, uh, gross Correct. rent, yeah. basically, right? So Plus the um, repairs, renovation, cleaning, whatever needs to be done between tenants. That one is very common in Japan, right? I mean, like what I, from what I was reading online and so on, it's like basically after one, uh, after one rental, you have to do renovation, right? Yeah, they call it a renovation, but you're talking about a, a section of flooring, a bit of wallpaper. It's not something that like, usually the expenses are going to be on average, depending on the length of the tenancy. Um, if it's a tenancy of just one or two years, which is rare, they'll usually stay longer than that. But if it's one or two years, you probably want to factor in something like five to seven hundred dollars per year of tenancy. Okay. Okay, so after two years, it might be a thousand or two thousand, something similar. Um, okay. If tenants been there in a long, long time, then you might have to replace the bathroom or the kitchen. So maybe just multiply that by years of tenancy will give you a rough. It's all average statistics, but that's a rough idea. Okay, but that's fair enough. Okay, yeah, because here in Singapore, our experience is normally that you have to do really like a lot. I mean, like <laughs> flowing, maybe not, but you know the wall, like completely walls painting again, doing some fixing there and things like that. That's normally quite quite common here to do. You will do that if you had a tenant in place for five, six, seven years, you will need to do that, yeah. Yeah, but here it's even if it's like shorter. I mean, I remember when I was going here and the first first apartment I got is basically like, yeah, it's, uh, even if you only went for two years or something like this afterwards, it's basically like they completely have to renovate it. I mean, normally it's like painting, uh, flowing, if it's like some cheap flowing before or something like this, or at least, you know, like the, what do you call it, like the, uh, if it's wooden floor, for example, they will do some treatment to it and things like that. So it's actually in Singapore, it's quite like, you know, it's, it's quite high cost that's coming to you if, it, if, the, if the apartment is not tenanted. And then the nature of the tenants is another question actually I had uh, from, from my point, because in Singapore, normally for a condo unit, of course, you know, it will be most likely experts that you will targeting on. And if, if you have an HDB unit here in Singapore, which is like this public apartment housing, it will be more like, you know, um, I would say like the, the typical foreign workers are coming into Singapore or Singapore families. Yep. In Japan, I mean, I think also I, what I could expect is it depends also on what kind of, of apartment, of course, you have and where it's located that it will also give you a different type of tenants. Can you maybe give some, some feedback from your side? I mean, yep. if what is preferred or what you can can say from 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 the background now i mean which is maybe the best tenants to 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 have and yep. maybe target also maybe into that area so first of all we're talking about cash cows in the sense that they're smaller older buildings so your tenant pool is limited to low and medium income earners you're not going to get any luxurious tenants in those units um so you're usually talking about, so first of all, the biggest, obviously the biggest tenant base is destitute elderly people, Japan being Japan. So you get single men or single women that either never married or the partner passed away or divorced or whatnot. The kids might be in contact with them, but they're not living together. Um, so those are always there. There's um, 
because there's a special a unique challenge in, in tenants with Japan is that if they're old and destitute they could die in the property so there's a special insurance policy clause that covers you for these expenses okay um, and then other people that move into these types of units could be low-level salary men like people who just graduated from university men or women and started to work in a company entry-level oh. salary people and then you have single moms, you have um, more temporary workers like shift workers, convenience store workers, factory workers. You have um, students, either Japanese or um, a lot of the time East Asian students. Um, that's also a group that has some unique challenges. They sometimes tend to just... Um, disappear mid-lease they just leave the door open and go back to their home country kind of thing okay yeah um otherwise i mean the ideal tenant from our perspective i would say is a middle-aged or late 30s early 40s kind of um female because japan being japan just by nature of society here Past 30, 35, they don't tend to get married or get promoted. Um, you usually get a tenant for a very long time if it's one of these uh, middle-aged yeah. females. And also they take care of the interior a lot better than the men, unfortunately. The men just chain smoke and leave the windows closed and everything's just yellow and moldy. Um, if they've lived there for a long time, the females in most cases tend to take better care of the property. But we do have strange females here too, like hikikomori, same, same type. They just... Um, you know, um, hoard boxes and, and stuff in the apartment. That happens with both sexes here, unfortunately. Um, but that's the ideal tenant because they'll stay for a long time and in most cases they'll take the best care of the property. Um, employed is always um, better than unemployed, but again, past 60, your tenants are going to be on a pension. And we also... In some cases, which are the best leases from our perspective, we have a company renting a unit um, for staff to stay when they travel to that city for work. So the company might be based in Tokyo. They'll rent a property in Nagoya or Kyoto or Fukuoka and just occasionally let staff sleep there during the week. And then on the weekend, they go back home to their families. Um, that's a very good tenant from our perspective because they barely stay in the property. They just sleep there. And the company is a better, obviously a better guarantor, easier for us to chase up a company for money if they have debt when they uh, terminate the lease right so yeah, those right. are usually the types of tenants that you'll get i can't really tell you location wise i mean there are some cities that are very blue collar like um, nagoya kita kyushu um, and a bunch of other ones but most cities you'd get a mix of all of these types of tenant profiles that i've just described obviously near university you're more likely to get students but otherwise Tenant profiles are about the same for this kind of budget um, studio or one-bedroom unit. Those are usually the tenants you're going to get. Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, that's, that's good and also good for the background for us because, I mean, here it's a bit differently. I mean, most of the tenants you will get here if you have like a small apartment would be students, international students, um, mostly from, from, from China. And uh, like the same issue, like you mentioned, like, you know, sometimes it could be that, you know, after uh, two years, uh, apparently, you know, they are gone. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, look, sometimes they, not the students so much, but um, the people who come here for like to study Japanese just as an excuse to get a visa. And then they just work at bars and restaurants and stuff. 
Um, they have a tendency to try to bunk in seven, seven or eight uh, in an apartment just to save on the rent, even though they're not supposed to. So they've got some unique issues, but I can tell you that that's worse than having an elderly Japanese gentleman decompose in a bathtub, which has also happened to us, right? So. Yeah, so um, I can imagine. Okay. Okay, but that is, that's one point. Then from the city perspective, actually, I'm, I'm actually I'm quite open. I mean, I've been to many cities in Japan. I I would say like at least major cities. Um, so, but is there any places that where you would say like I mean, if we say okay, we we looking for for a year, especially at the beginning. I mean, I'm, if I look down the road, to be honest with yourself, I mean, we would like to invest more when when things are working out good, you know. So that could also be that we say, okay, maybe we go for two properties that is maybe something about like six or so at the starting point, and then you know maybe down the road uh, look for for something else. Because at the moment, I to give you some also some some background on the investment that we have. I mean, we have some property investment. We have some investment on on on, on shares, which is of course the more risky type. Let's say like that, and then we have. Um, uh, I have at the moment also the opportunity, of course, to get into T-bills in Singapore, which are quite good on the yield at the moment, at least. Yeah. So for me, it's like because when I when I wrote to you the, the budget at that time, it was actually not clear if these T-bills will come out for the public or not. And actually, they came out. So I could also put some money on these T-bills. OK. That's just backward. I want to be fair to you up front because I mean, I get like 4.5 or 4.7% on these T-bills, which is quite good That's for quite just good. parking your money in, in Singapore, you know, so, and I don't have to have the risk with currency and, and things like that. So, but still, still beside of that, I would like to go also the step now to, to look towards Japan to get some, you know, some property over there, because just to diverse it a bit more out yep. and, uh, you know, have also something for longer, for the longer run, because the T-bill is, I think at the moment you can only get six months or one year, and that's the maximum you could, you know. You could what is on. that again? A T build? T build. It's actually like a like a governmental bond in Singapore. They call oh, it okay. Yeah, yeah. And a minus bill. Yeah. And uh, basically, it's like you know you can apply on it if you are of course Singapore citizen or PR, and uh, it's like a bidding process. But unfortunately or luckily you can say from your point maybe unfortunate for me lucky yeah uh, my, my bidding got through so I'm, I'm able to 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 buy bonds for a certain amount of money and uh, I will do that for sure because the return is just incredibly good on for a government bond that's unheard of but I mean look we're we're really not too concerned about how expensive the property is you're going to buy and how much our commission is because like you said, we're, we're trying to base our business on relationships. We know that if you're satisfied with a, a 10 million or a 20 million yen, then you'll come back with more a few years down the track. So don't, don't worry about it on our end. Yeah, because I mean, I just want to be honest to you up front, right? Because for me, it's like if this one is working out quite well, let's say if we really look for two apartments that is maybe around 100, 120, maybe 140, something like this together, right? Um, if we're looking into that one, I'm pretty sure that, you know, we will do business in the future again, because then if this is working out and the, the yield is somewhere, let's say around the four to maybe six percent, somewhere like this before tax, I'm pretty sure that, you know, we will look into it again because it's for the long term. And again, I, I'm, I know in Japan from, from what my colleagues are telling me, it's basic. You can't expect any gain in property, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's good if it happens, like, but don't count on it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But in Germany, it's basically the same. I mean, it's it's like you said correctly. Yeah, there is some years now where it really went up a bit and and really is steep. 
But uh, traditionally in Germany, it was not the case, you know. In Germany, it was like, yeah, there is some gain, but it's not like US or, or, or other markets where it's like crazily like going up 30, 40% in a short time and you can speculate on selling it off again. Yeah. For me, it would be really like this if the property is running good and maybe after 10 years or so, we think about, oh, we want to buy maybe another unit somewhere else and then, then sell it off again. We would sell it off, but it's it's not really something that is in our head like, oh, we have to keep it only for five years and then I have to get the cash back and invest into something else or so. It could be that we say like well, it just stays with us for, you know, the next 15 years, 20 years until maybe it's sold off to an investor or yeah. something like this, you know. Most of our customers hold them for about seven, eight years and then just recycle them. You could, there's also the tax the claiming deduction claiming cycle to consider because you're going to be claiming all of your purchase costs and depreciation and so forth. Um, after five, six, seven years, you're running out of stuff to claim. So then it's a good idea to sell and buy something else so you can, you know, restart the claiming cycle again. Okay. Is that coming from the tax in, in Japan? I mean, yeah. is it like internally yeah. in Japan? How was that working actually? Because that would be another another question on my list here. That so you pay your income, you pay your income tax here uh, first in Singapore. I think you maybe even tax free, but you have to pay your income tax here in Japan. So you'll be making all of your claims and deductions here in Japan as well. You submit your tax statement, or if you don't have any tax to pay, which is likely in the first few years, you're going to be under the reporting threshold. Then whatever you've done in Japan, you submit to the authorities in your country of residence, and then they'll tax you for the difference. So if you've paid 5% in Japan and you need to pay 15% in Singapore, then they'll tax you the extra 10% there. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know. They're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home, with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. 
Mm, okay. I'm, uh, I'm yeah, on the free that's... version of Zoom, so if it hangs up on us, we can just jump back into the same link again. Okay. Okay, perfect. I, was, I see it's only five minutes to go, four minutes, something yeah. to go. Okay, but this, uh, I mean, for the, for the text filing in Japan, is that something that would also run over your company then, that you would have some professional that you would recommend? We'll put you in touch with an accountant and then the one that most of our customers use is quite affordable. Once you confirm their estimate and you tell them that it's okay to go ahead, then we can work with them directly and share your documents and everything they need. Okay, sure. Okay. So basically, I mean, from, from my point of view, and how I understand it, and it's like basically everything could be handled through, through your company for us at the beginning time. I mean, like if we then decide at one point that, I mean, if we have more properties and I say, okay, I want to hunt my own insurance down in, in Japan or uh, I, I find our own accountant there, then... Take over at any time. Yeah, we don't mind. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're okay. we're your single point of contact for anything that you want us to do. Whatever you're happy to do on your own, you can just not do with us. Yeah, and for the start, we would just keep it that way. I'm, I'm pretty sure for that. It's just like when I look down the road, you know, because for me, it's like, you know, I have quite, an, quite a base there of people I know. And under that is, of course, also some people who have property in Singapore, but Japanese nationals that have property here, right? Yeah. So some of them, of course, will also say at one point, maybe like, ah, oh, you know, if you want to, I can recommend you this or that. Then... For us, yep. the white would change if it makes sense. But at the moment, for me, it's like, yeah, as I said, it's just, uh, you know, how to say, in Germany, you say, like, you know, you just get the, the feet into the cold water now. Yeah. You're just developing a bit, okay, how is Japan working? How will it how will it run for us? If it is successful, we, we might will do more. If not, then, you know, it's like, okay, then it runs for the time it runs. And then, uh, you know, we might uh, put the money somewhere else in the, in the future. But uh, I think that from... From, from the numbers for property or real estate investment where I don't want to speculate, mm. it seems to be a good option. That sounds like 90% of our customers, yeah. <laughs> and maybe even some of your customers are coming from this area down here. I can imagine because... Singapore? Oh, we have so many. Yeah, Australia and Singapore are our biggest uh, client pools. Okay. Yeah. You have in uh, Singapore also a lot of uh, Australians or like other Westerners who are doing this or also a lot of local... I mean, Singapore, Singaporeans, Chinese, Singaporeans, or... A bit of a mix. We've got both, I think. Uh, Chinese or Malaysian, I'm not sure what their origin is, but they're, yeah, native Singaporeans. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They all yeah, read okay. Chinese, That's so I don't really know. Yeah, you know, I think 70% here is Chinese, right, origin. I mean, my wife is Singaporean and, I mean, heritage-wise Chinese, so... Okay. And there's also a lot of, a lot of things of this in the Japanese market, because, I mean, the other option that we have would be to go over a Chinese-speaking, you know... Uh, agent and uh, for me what we we had some pre-talks and uh, it's not really attractive because a lot of things we have to control ourselves and you know the business nature in 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 from our experience let's say like this if you have to, to deal with people from that cultural background it's more difficult yeah. I mean the, the, the trust level is differently that you can bring in you know there is a lot of I would say a lot more talk than action normally. <laughs> yeah, Japan is very, um, I mean, the reason, one of the main reasons people buy here, except for the fact that it's very affordable, is it's a very reliable, stable, um, well-documented yeah. business environment. It appeals to many people. Okay, sure. I mean, the last point that I actually had was, I mean, the document that was, was shared with your colleagues with me, to, you know, where there was also like an example, right? A, a deal analysis that you set in there as an example. And this one, um, 
from 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 my point, uh, I just have some questions. I think that you know it's it's easy to discuss it now while we're on a, on a call. Yeah, I'll then, open that up. Let me just open that up in front of me, so I'm looking at the same thing. Give me a second. Sure, no problem. Yep. Okay. So I mean, this 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 property, the example is in Oita, right? And then of course the purchase price. What is the expected rent? I mean, of course, you never know if you really will get it or not. But management fee and uh, the rest fund. I well, think this one just just to just to um, correct you, that this one is tenanted, so that is actually the rent price. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, because I just was seeing uh, two units in the building vacant advertised for. Okay, but doesn't matter. But the management fee, I, I understand, is the management fee for the agent, right? It's not the management fee of the building like what we have in Singapore. Where no, so like up here, what you see up here next to the rent price, the management fee and the reserve funds, those are building fees. Mm -hmm. So okay. that's what you pay the building. The management fee goes for management of the common areas, maybe an on-site manager, depending on the size of the building. And then the reserve funds yeah. is put towards renovations and repairs for the structure. Uh -huh. okay. The property management, the, sorry? No, say, say first. I will ask after So if you look at the left column under Japanese yen, this, the rent management is what you would call property management, the, the property manager who deals with the tenant. So that's uh -huh. your 5%. And then the building fees, 3.6 plus 2.4, that's 6,000 yen for the building fees. Okay, so this is basically the both amounts up there together. Yep. The, 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 the fund that is paid, I mean, is that one also for the management fee? I don't know which part of it. Is that also covering like the typical insurances on the main structure of the building? Yes. Or is that something that is... Okay. Yes. So the owner union takes out an insurance policy and what you pay for management fee includes that plus electricity, water for the public areas, gardening, any, anything that um, everyone pays together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Is that one covering also like the damages from like, let's say disasters, natural disasters, because I mean, that's one of the few points I think, which I don't have in any other property right now. Yes, but only for only for the structure, for the interior, you'll have your own insurance policy, which is what you see at the top there, uh, top of the cost table, 484 yen. So insurance is very cheap in Japan. Yeah, but it's also then, of course, only for the own interior, right? So it's basically like the interior insurance because the structure of the house itself is covered by the management. Correct. Yeah. Management. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, insurance companies. In Singapore, it's basically. Insurance companies are still insurance companies in Japan too. They'll try to avoid and reduce payments as much as they can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the. I think that's the the business in insurance. Right? Yeah. I mean, this one we will not be able to change. No, but I mean, generally, I mean, for me, it's just like what happens, for example, like, let's say, really worst case, right? I mean, let's say there's a landslide and your property is gone. I mean, if it's a if it's a concrete structure, I, I think it's not gone, but, you know, it will have extensive repair. It's not worth it's repairing in that at that stage, usually, especially right. if it's something as old as this one, 1990, it was built, right? But, but what will happen in those cases is that they'll... Um, they'll take the money for demolition and removal from the reserve fund uh, if they can. Mm -hmm. And then they'll sell, obviously, the land plot to a local developer or anybody who's interested in it. Um, if they can't afford the demolition and removal, then they'll sell it as is and that'll be a lower price. Um, and then they'll divide everything between the unit owners. Larger units get a larger portion as well. Of course. Okay. Okay, that was the, the one thing then on the purchase cost 
I mean, what I also what you also wrote to me, like you know, you wrote the worst case. So this purchase costs, including the agent fee, it will include also the fee for you, right? For yes. Company. Yeah, and, and also possible. legal registration fees, and the purchase tax, which is a statement that arrives somewhere between six to twenty-four months after settlement. Okay. That's all included in the worst case purchase cost. And the reason that we can't calculate that accurately in advance is because the legal and registration fees and the purchase tax depend on the official evaluation of the building. And that's always going to be different to the market price. So until we actually um, get a copy of the last year's tax evaluation from the seller, we don't know what the actual cost will be. So we're assuming a worst case scenario and then it always gets better by the time we settle. Okay, I understand that one. I mean, for this, uh, for the for the evaluation by the, I mean, I, I guess it's the governmental evaluation. Then, how is that one looking in Japan? Because, like in Germany, the in the past was always like this that you know the evaluation was a lot lower than what was the market price, right? It changes now because the government also sees that okay to get more tax in, you know, they start to evaluate, of course, on a higher value now because actually properties are trading for a much higher value than like 20, 30 years back. How is that in Japan? Is it like is it more or less similar or really far off from from the purchase prices? It's um, it's updated more frequently, so they'll usually they'll usually bring themselves back in line with market prices every two or three years. But there's always a difference. So depending on the area, for example, when we started working, um, Fukuoka City was completely unknown. Market prices were starting to heat up, but it took the government a couple of years to catch up. So then evaluation and property taxes were lower for a few years, and now they're about on par again. But now we're jumping up ahead again. So that's the game in Fukuoka. Other places like Sapporo, for example, lost a lot of tourists under, after the 2011 and the Fukushima disaster. So official evaluations in Sapporo were actually higher than the market price for a good four, five, six mm -hmm. years. So it really varies depending on location, but usually it's going to be... I'd say at least 10, 20% off the market price. Okay, but it's something that it's, it's good to know. So it's not completely, you know, like crazy because in Germany there was a time when it was really like, you know, you buy a property for, I don't know, 500,000 and it was like, you know, from the from the state side, they were still evaluating it on 200. I've only you know, seen like, that happen for a year or two right after um, Fukushima and the big Tohoku earthquake, but not since then it's been quite reasonable. Okay, but then it's also good to know when they're refreshing it quite, let's say, reasonable, then it should not be too far off. Because yeah. it's just for us to know, of course, also, that if we really do that step and then look into it, that we don't expect, or that there's no coming, no big surprise, right? Yeah. But there's like, oh, this is worse, apparently, like double or triple the amount that what we paid for it. Because I mean, look, for, for property tax, it's not a huge deal because for these units, you're only talking about a couple of hundred bucks a year for property tax. Where it does become a bit more significant is for insurance compensation, because insurance compensation payouts are also based on the official evaluation, not the market price. So if you happen to be sitting on a, you know, a bad cycle at exactly when an earthquake hits and you need to get your insurance compensation, it hasn't happened to us yet, but I'm assuming that could be an issue for someone. Yeah, okay. Sure. Okay, but this is again, this is something which is unforeseeable because I mean, none of us hopes that there is something like this happen, right? Yeah, but, out of uh, our control completely, yeah, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been to Japan two or three times when we had quite some big quakes. The last time I think in Osaka, I think 2019, like quite heavy. Quite yeah, that was a big one. I remember that one. 
Yeah, mm. so, but basically it's like you don't see many damages on the housings there. I mean, it's like as long as it's concrete and not, not wooden structure. And like the worst we've ever had is a bent window frame for about $500 out of pocket. Um, but it is Japan, so I'm sure it's going to happen to us at some point that we're going to have a total loss, right? It will happen, yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I, I, I spent maybe like, you know, let's say four times a year there and then maybe maximum two weeks in one go, right? So, but even there, you know, I had quite a share of, of earthquakes that I <laughs> you know, had in the time there. So, but generally I, I see also from the structure, when I, when I look at our office that we have there, I mean, like my company has an office there and it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's shaped quite well because it's Kunma Prefecture, Saitama. The concrete and, buildings, uh, the concrete buildings are built very well here. Yes. The houses are very flimsy, but that's also on purpose. It's like it's like that. I mean, the, the building is basically like it's a steel, steel steel frame building, and it's like you know, I mean, it has absolutely nothing mm. over the years. There's there's really nothing on it. Yeah. And like I said, Gunma is quite heavily shaken. I mean, like every time I'm being there, basically there's at least some small something small happening. Mm. Then uh, okay, so basically that was this question on that one. Insurance is also clear. Then the rental management, as you explained, this is then really the the agent in the in the specific uh, market that is you know uh, taking care of it. Yep. Building fees is then also clear. That's the the combined uh, management fee and the uh, the fund. Yep. And then portfolio. Portfolio management is our fee. That's our fee per month. Okay. Uh, it's basically two percent, but we do have a minimum of three thousand yen. Okay, so three thousand yen is like yeah, thirty thirty sing dollar at the moment. Yeah. Okay. How is it when we have like something, let's say like now with the accounting and so on, if we engage it through you, there will also be some fee, I guess, correct? We don't charge you for that now. We'll just put you in touch with the accountant directly. We basically we we don't take any um we don't get any coupons on top of works that our customers do. We just, you just pay whatever the contractor charges. If we have to go somewhere and do something on your behalf, then we charge for the hours. So any non-routine work that we have to do aside from being the contact person and just managing communications and payments, we just charge for by the hour at that same price, 3000 yen. Okay. Then for the, like, like with the bank account, this one is also in the document, of course, stated. Basically means that, I mean, you will have or the money, the, the rental will go to this account. I mean, it's, a, it's I guess it's your account or the account of the company. or how Yes, it's our corporate account. We've got three corporate accounts in different banks just to minimize bank charges. But basically, all of our customers' money goes into the same pool. And we issue an annual statement of income and expenses. And then whenever you want to send funds back home, just let us know and we'll send them back to you. How is it normally what you do when you send back funds? Is it like you send them in? I mean, do you use like some services like Remiti or something like that, like some online? Uh, yeah, we've that? been with them um, OFX since we started for about 11 years now. We're very happy with their services. We got a corporate account manager, so everything is very smooth and we get very good rates. So we've also got a partner referral link. Uh, you can sign up with them via our account and then you'll also get access to our corporate account manager. Okay. Yeah, because for me, the, the question will be, of course, like, you know, it depends, of course, on how the rates are. Because one thing, like I said, is like we could actually just transfer yen back to Singapore and keep it in the, in the account here in yen. Yeah. And then, you know, just keep it there. And then from there also work with the capital from that point of view or to transfer it back directly, you know, 
through a service that says, okay, we will pay back so and so much yen and then it will be received in so and so much sing dollar with this and this rate. I mean, those for us is actually workable. But um, in Singapore, as, as I said, I, I really like at the moment the, the, the thing that I have, you know, I have a multi-currency on my on one, on one account. It's possible in Singapore and it's quite nice because whatever is going up and down, like, you know, Euro is at the moment, of course, uh, very weak compared to sing dollar. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, it's very nice to, to you know to buy you at the moment while well, it's not so nice to, to buy sing dollar right? yeah so, so as long as these kind of things are there because the yen I'm also pretty sure I mean even if Japan is an export driven nation but with all the imports that they need on food and other things I don't think that they will keep long with this uh, you know looking looking long into losing more and more grip on the, on the I, I'm not complaining our customers have been buying like crazy since the end hit the slow um, but it's always a case of making you can actually make very nice little profits on just transferring and exchanging funds across as long as you don't need your funds back in a hurry you can just watch until the rate you know swing the other way around and then bring them home exactly like you've been doing with the euro so it's not a bad strategy as long as you you've got reserves in both countries yeah. yeah, because for the, I mean, for the start, I'm also pretty sure that, I mean, most of it, what is there will stay in, in Japan because, uh, you know, of the running cost. I mean, like, it doesn't make much sense at the beginning time to drag out money because, I mean, simply it will just pay for the running cost first and then maybe at the end of a year or something like this, if there's a certain amount lying there, that might, you can make another decision again, like, okay, should it just stay there? Because, like I said, it could even be that we say if everything runs smooth, Maybe by, by next year or maybe the end of next year that we say, okay, we, we will invest into another smaller property that is, you know, just added to the portfolio that is already existing. And then yeah. using that, uh, at least some of this uh, funds that is lying there to, you know, offset it. Yeah, that's again, that's what most of our customers do. Okay. okay and then basically on, the, on this, um, on this uh, yield analysm, it means basically, I mean, you, you're going from the worst case scenario on the top part, means like, okay, the highest, uh, or what from the experience, what would be on the high side on the purchasing cost, extra cost for the purchase, plus what we have to see from the, from the cost side monthly by running, uh, through, uh, running through all the costs that we have. And then based on this one, before the tax, of course, that has to be settled, uh, will be then the, the annual yield that you will calculate, right? So it's basically uh, in before tax, Wait. Yes. So the Excel sheets like that example in the um, in the PDF, the Excel sheets that we send to you to analyze deals are always going to show you net before tax. So it includes all of the known purchase costs and all of the known running costs. It doesn't include your annual taxes. So the property tax, we still don't know at this stage and the income tax depends on your individual scenario. So it doesn't include those. That includes all purchase and running costs. And it also doesn't include unknowns. So maintenance, vacancies, stuff that we don't know, um, doesn't include as well. So it's yeah. net, net pre-tax. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, but that's fair enough. I mean, that's, that's something you can work with because the rest is, of course, like I said, it's unknown anyway. So can't really do much. And then, uh, yeah, we'll see. Okay. I think that's from my side. That would be actually all on the question side. Okay. Um, the only thing now is, of course, how should we continue? Because, I mean, from my side, as I said, you know, I would, uh, I would uh, say maybe that uh, from, from the conversation and also from, from, from what I heard from you now, 
to look maybe into like you know maybe one two smaller properties would be the best yeah. for for a star. Um, like I said, because of the changes in the in the in the, in the situation in Singapore, I mean, I have to say maybe like let's say uh, 10, 12 million, maybe. F- I mean, if it's a bit more, it doesn't matter, to be honest. But, you know, yeah. if you find something around that... Well, uh, again, we're going to be... be because of the way things work here, we're going to be taking them one at a time anyway. So I think we can focus on an initial investment. Let's call it 10 to 15 million, whatever whatever turns up in whichever city we're going to see. Um, so, I mean, we again, we can put in a couple of hours of research, give you some samples. But basically, to move forward, you need to email me with a name and address that you want on the invoice. And then I'll send the invoice to you and I'll also send you the engagement form so you can start working on those. And from the moment the invoice is paid, we can start researching and contacting sellers and agents, whatever you want us to do. Okay, sure. So next step is that I will come back to you with the, with the details that you need. Yep. And then from there we will work further on and then yeah let's see i mean i'm looking forward to it because it's a it's a it's another thing to add to the portfolio and it's something where I, I, actually for me it's the first time you know investing into or let's say like i don't normally i don't invest into something i don't understand right and for me japan is always even doing business there it's still a question mark you know yeah. because of the cultural things that is happening there like like you know these 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 super politeness, you cannot say no, and you know, like these certain things that is in the culture that it makes the dealing a bit differently, right? So... Yeah, but it's um, also, it's comfortable different, it's not scary different, right? You know that you're going to be yeah, safe and stable. Otherwise, otherwise, I will not put any money there, right? <laughs> yeah. So, no, but I mean, as I said, also over the business over the business years now, because I mean, I'm working in the poultry and fish industry, we're making machinery for these industries, right? And I mean, it's like, it's really like blue color, uh, you know, you're working with people in the in the in the poultry slaughtering and, and fish processing business, right? So this is people that is not like it's not a typical salary man, right? It's more like the people who come from a career of uh, blue color, maybe working in these factories, being in fish farming or in in in, in fishing in general. Um, so and then these people over the years, you know, of course you get to know them, and you also get like, I, I, for my feeling at least. You have like the north of Japan is a bit like North Germany where I'm from. We are more cold people. While when you go more south, the people are also more, you know, opening and welcoming. Yeah, so, that's kind of true. So, like, <laughs> so that's why, I mean, we have a lot of business in Kagoshima. And I mean, okay, Okinawa is more south, but Kagoshima is more or less the most south point of Japan where you have like a big population. And uh, Kumamoto, Kagoshima, actually like the people are quite nice. I mean, in these areas. On the other hand, you also know that these both cities are not really growing at the moment. Yeah. So. Cities-wise, um, I mean, we can go for the big cities. So um, Tokyo would be hard to get good yield, but maybe Yokohama, Saitama, Chiba, uh, Osaka and Kobe. Uh, Sapporo, if we find a good deal, the winter maintenance can be a bit expensive there, but sometimes we can see some good deals there. Um mm-hmm. Kyoto, Nagoya, and Fukuoka. And then there are the second tier cities like prefectural capitals or satellite cities near the big cities and so forth. Um, yield can be higher there because prices just don't go up. Yeah. Um, so I guess both are options. We can send you samples of both and you will, we'll see which one makes more sense. Yeah, sure. I mean, like directly inside Tokyo, I think for me, it's not really like, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know. I it's mean, very rare that we help someone buy in Tokyo. It's just not attractive yield-wise. 
Yeah, correct. I mean, if you would look for something, because I mean, I have the plan, of course, but I'm further down the road because we have some other things to do first, but to go for some kind of like, you know, holiday home or something like this also, but that will be something that will come down, you know, it's not any near, any time near, right? So, yeah. um, but that one would be, of course, something else, right? There's also a target is a different one there. It's not about yield. It's basically about, you know, it's just somewhere where you have maybe some greenery around you where you can do hiking or something like that, you know? Uh, that will not be the the typical, you know, hunting for something which yeah, is a good it's location. a lifestyle choice. <laughs> yeah, correct. And this one is also uh, it doesn't make any logical sense, you know, because mm. it just basically what you calculate there is like okay, hotel fee versus you know maintaining a property. Yeah. And um, at the moment, this is not really you know up on the on the thing, but when it comes to investment property like Saitama, for example, I've been there many times because we have an office in Ashomia, which is a bit northeast from Mia Station. So um, in this area, for example, like, I mean, there's the typical tra train lines, like the, the, the ones that going down to Ueno and to, to Shinjuku. Yep. So of course you see there's a lot of big apartment blocks that is just, you know, housing people that is commuting inside the city. Something like this is totally fine for, for us. Yep. I mean, like, you know, what we would look for as well. I mean, even if we wouldn't have had any help now, this is what I would have looked for first, like yeah. <laughs> looking into that. But, um, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, we hope that, of course, with the expertise from from your side, that we are, you know, can find the right thing to start it. And then, like I said, if it's successful, and I'm pretty sure it will be, that uh, you know, we can then continue to look for for more in the next years. And then, at one point, having a certain portfolio that is lying there. That's um, that's what we're here for. It will be our pleasure. So. Do you have any other questions to, to my side or to... Um, I don't think at the moment, no. Once we start looking at actual properties, I'm sure we'll do a lot of toing and froing and uh, you'll need to give us some feedback to help us fine-tune the selection that we bring to you. But otherwise, I think the basics we've covered, I think, yeah. Okay. Sure, okay. Yeah, then I will, I will send out an email today. I might be late today or even tomorrow because I have to join some other meetings today. Yep. But... Um, I will put it together also with the with, with the budget and you know what we what we could do and then uh, from that point then yeah let's see and then when it comes down I have to see also how it will work out with, with my bank here because I'm thinking about if I maybe should exchange some yen as long as it's a good rate or not let's see as <laughs> we are doing well, that. Well, once you've engaged us you can treat us as your de facto bank account so if you want to capitalize on the rates and just send some Singapore dollars over because it's cheaper to buy yen now. You can do that and we'll hold it here for you until you end up purchasing. Yeah, or it could also be that I just exchange here already some yen and then send some yen over directly. But it's depending a bit on the on the waiting because at the moment I don't know why, but you know, my bank is giving me a quite good rate on yen. But yep. it's it's sometimes, you know, it, it's it's always fluctuating and uh, you know it's it's in Singapore it's very, you know, dynamic. Let's say like this. It depends really on the daily, you know, transactions and so on. But uh, at the moment, the weight is very close to the, you know, to the to the actual weight. Normally, yeah. you have like a quite big gap there, and and this time it's actually quite close to it. So either it's uh, that's what the... that's what I meant when I said don't let your bank do that for you because the banks will always be at least three yens off the median rate. Um, a foreign exchange provider will be one yen or less of the median rate. So you really want to sign up with OFX or WISE or Compass or one of those guys. I think you'll find that they give you much better deals. Yeah, I will do that. I mean, yeah. I will look into that and uh, then compare, right? Because 
Yesterday was really like this. I had only a difference of, uh, of I think it's like 0.8 yen. That was really surprising because yeah. normally that's not the case. Because normally, like you said, it's like 3 yen easily or 4.5 yen easily. Yeah. And uh, that's why I was surprised yesterday because when I was looking into if I would really do now, you know, an exchange already, what would happen? Uh, it's actually quite good. And I mean, it does look like that the Singapore dollar will still gain a bit because uh, the outlook is not really that it will fall. Let's say it like that. Yeah. Okay, well, we're here in any case. Let us know when you want to get started. Okay, sure. Thanks okay, for your thank time. You for your time speak to you soon. Yeah, speak to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so there you have it. Very thorough conversation, I thought, covering many aspects of real estate property investment in Japan. I hope you found some value in it. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! Yoroshiku!